Welcome to Far North Token. This is episode 70, November 19th, 2017. Your host, Mid Token. Thank you all for listening. Today's show, creatively inspired by Ramblin' Rangers Huckleberry. Mmm, sweet, sweet Huckleberry. Today's episode, stepping it up a notch in scientific awareness. We have CanTest today. Mark Malagodi, PhD, owner of CanTest, and Jonathan Rupp, PhD, scientific director. Wow, when you guys hear what they bring to the table, we are so lucky in Alaska to have these guys jumping on board, offer their skills, do what they do for cannabis. They're bringing, bringing professionalism to it, standards, looking to the future. Listen closely to what they say. They are front runners of knowing what's going to be policy, knowing what's going to be on the board's mind. Lately, there's been a discrepancy in results of testing. Lots of factors into this. There are many pieces of this machine that comes to what that number in the package represents. Testing companies are testing a sample that represents a much larger package. What happens to it in between that? All these testers can do is guarantee what that sample is and then how it's represented after that. What can they do? We're going to hear it from CanTest. I turned down the steps I slip on the ice I guess this is Jonathan? It's Jonathan and uh, Mark Malagodi as well. All right, great, Mark Malagodi. All right, well, both of you, welcome to Far North Tokers. I'm so happy you guys could come on. I wanted to get started right away with, you guys both have rich histories in science. So what I would like to do, if you guys could maybe give us a summary up to ballot measure two in Alaska and tell us what was going on in your lives up until that point. Sure, uh, this is Jonathan again, I'll go first. So. My education background uh, in undergrad, I, um, my major was biochemistry and molecular biology. And then in graduate school at Indiana University, it was uh, microbiology with a minor in biochemistry. And in graduate school, I studied viruses. Uh, and then I moved to Anchorage, let's see, that was six years ago, uh, and started um, doing research on influenza at University of Alaska Anchorage. Uh, and then started doing some other viral projects and uh, that's about the time that yeah, ballot measure two came along and um, I was um, interested in, in getting into this industry so uh, I guess the rest is history. All right, All right great. So Mark? Yeah, my background is in biomedical engineering. I got a um, bachelor's in electrical engineering at the Polytechnic Institute and a master's at um, University of Utah, and then um, PhD from uh, University of Strathclyde in Scotland. I was working at Helen Hayes Hospital in New York, and uh, from there I went over to the University of Pittsburgh and um, biomedical engineering, and worked there for a while, and started a business out of the University of Pittsburgh, working with the department, and eventually decided I kind of liked business and went solely in that direction. Uh, ran a software business for about 15 years and we were in Pittsburgh and uh, then moved up to Alaska and about 10 years ago. So I've been in Alaska 10 years 
and ran the business for a while until I sold it and then wanted to keep doing business. So when Ballot Measure 2 came along, felt that this was an area that I could contribute to and uh, met with Jonathan and uh, we decided to make it happen. Great. A lot of people, a lot of the industry gets a lot of uh, flack for saying it's outside of Alaska. And you guys were both in Alaska, had no intentions of being involved in cannabis before you came to Alaska, correct? That's correct. Yeah, well, yeah, I didn't didn't realize it would be uh, regulated at, at this stage. Yeah, no, moved here before that was not in my mind. So 2014 hits. Uh, we have ballot measure two. Were you, when it was even mentioned that it could possibly be legal, were you guys thinking about possibly getting starting up can test or is is that um, not even thought about yet? Um, actually, when ballot measure two came along, it was also about, you know, the time I was kind of making some decisions on what direction I was going to go next. I felt immediately when I looked at the uh, way that they were going to do the development of legalization here, um, I felt that the labs fit me very well. And I wanted to, you know, get it into it as soon as possible. And, you know, so that I would have an advantage of being in there first. So, yeah, I started working on it pretty much as soon as I heard about ballot measure two. And for me, I was uh, for years, had been looking at um, where I wanted to take my, myself with my with my career, and evaluating lots of different avenues. Uh, and when this one came along, it, it seemed to really fit. Um, it's something that I, I, I feel uh, has a lot of positive for um, uh, for our society, uh, rather than having this be a prohibited thing to have it be regulated and, and tested and, and, and that part. Something I my background would uh, fit with and uh, contribute with and uh, again is valuable. One of the advantages of being first is you help get to shape the industry and from watching you guys grow I'm so happy that you two are at at the front you know we've got we've only have one other testing company right now and I, I'm proud to say you know you guys can test is there doing what you guys do. You both sound like you wanted to be able to shape the industry and you had the power and the skills and you wanted to. So where to go from there? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, one of the most exciting things that I've found about this is just the ability to come into a new industry. I mean, how often does, do you, does a person get that chance? And I thought it was really exciting to be able to get into the beginning of an industry and help to shape it. And, um, you know, I still, I still find it exciting every day, you know work on this. I mean, we're still in the early stages, I think, and it's still developing, so it's going to be exciting. And the, um, I don't know how, how closely you follow, but the, the most recent uh, control board meeting, uh, they talked about we're going to organize um, on the testing regulation side of things, and they're going to bring us and other testing facilities together uh, to improve the regulations and really, as you're saying, shape how things are going to go forward. More standardized things, huh? I, yeah, I know there's no standardization correctly right now. Right. I mean that um, that the state. I mean, it'd be great if it was beyond just the state, but the state as a whole is, is working to yeah improve and standardize things. So yeah, I think I think that's exactly a, a a great thing to be a part of. Definitely, and we have the responsibility to do it right. Let's have all the other states that are coming along look at Alaska and say you're doing the right thing.
So you guys, where did can test come from? How just just is it just simple cannabis testing? <laughs> Originally, in my mind, it was a bit of a play on words. You know, it's, it's we can can test C A N. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Didn't no, never never no. felt that part. So how you eventually you originally started with the legal market, I'm guess, right? Or were you also doing home grows as well? Were people dealing with you at home grow level at this point, or was it just legal? Well, in the very beginning, I mean, obviously we started this quite a while before the first legal test right. happened. So when we were first setting up the lab, we had a number of home growers that were pretty excited about it all. They volunteered to donate cannabis to us to us develop our ability to test it so uh, you know we uh, would work with a number of, of people in getting the development going now oh, that had to be exciting for them too just having finally having a number putting on yeah. to what their their self-claimed fire was right i mean they got free tests we got the ability to develop our skills so i think it was a win-win <laughs> oh great let's go back to regulations say all cannabis must be tested that's one of the issues kind of with the CBD, while CBD is getting so hammered in other shops. So the testing facilities are a necessary function of that. We have cultivators having to send a sample down. And one of the things I really want to focus on today with you guys, you guys seem to be taking a hit over the last week testing about your discrepancy in numbers. And I want to take a chance to explain what, what happens in the testing. You just... They take a five pound batch, up to five pound batch. They, you know, random in big quotes, send a sample to you guys. You guys are testing that sample. You can't tell what, what else they're putting in a, in a container or what the rest of the bag looks like. Um, there was actually one incons uh, inconsistency in, in, in that. Um, the Marijuana Control Board recently said that they want to have tests done from harvest, not from packaging. So while it's true that you cannot package in, in an amount greater than five pounds, you can um, test a harvest that's greater than five pounds. Um, the disadvantage in doing a large harvest test is that if a sample fails for aspergillus or anything else, um, the entire harvest would fail. So um, a cultivator has to make a decision about what size they want to make their harvest risk-loss ratio they want to work with. So just, just wanted to clear that up. And, um, oh, no, that, that's changed then. So how, how much can they send then? How much of a batch, how big can the batch be? It's a harvest. Whatever they do as a harvest, they can uh, send in a test for it. I imagine this is one of the things that's going to be discussed and probably updated as, as the regulation project continues. Sure, a harvest. Is that a harvest of one plant or a how, how it's defined by the cultivator? One strain. Wow. Right. So, and it has to be done on the same day. So whatever they harvest of the same strain on a day and call it the same name, then that's what they harvest. Wow, so some of these bigger companies that, are, that have much more uh, square footage dedicated to the same strain, their batches are much longer than a limited cultivator. It's going to be uh, yeah, that, that very well could be. I mean, unless they're doing multiple tests to avoid the possibility of failure and loss of a, a large amount. Wow, that, that's, that's interesting news. And Jesus, he comes up to me.
Jesus, he sits down. He says, take this fucking cross off my back. If the cultivator has a larger share in the responsibility than what they're taking at this point, you guys can only test what you are given in that, what, two and a half gram or two, three gram sample you're given? Right, so so sampling is a is a big part of your test result. So whatever the sample is, that's what comes to the lab, and that's what the number is based on. So, and it, this is in the regulations, the sample has to be representative of the batch, and it's it's all destructive testing. So you can't test everything because whatever is tested is destroyed. Um, right, it has to be this way. It has to be where you take a sample that's representative. But that you know that the challenges in that and and. Um, Maybe this is what you were saying that that we are not even allowed to do that. So the uh, cultivators have to themselves package and transport the sample, or them or their agent, which we are not allowed to be their agent. It's it's up to them to ensure that the, that the sample is representative. But that's every cultivator doing that on their own, uh, rather than one entity uh, ensuring that across the industry. Right, and by by in the regs it's saying you have to take a random sample that that implies that the whole thing is going to be a little different correct that the whole the whole batch is going to have different numbers that's just by nature of it being an agricultural product that there's there's not uh, it doesn't come out as a like your your cheerios where everything is is the exact same thing as it comes off the line there's variation across a plant or from plant to plant Hopefully everything is grown together, treated the same way. It's not a huge amount of variation, but it's yeah, some some is inevitable. How much variation can you get? I know one of the problems that I saw in the beginning is when you would send a batch down, you would have to get a, a flower test. And depending on how the cultivator called it, flower or trim, some of that smaller buds could be considered flower with that same test result. So you have you know, pre-roll joints being made with that. So how much... How much really difference in THC can trim be from the, the smaller buds to the top quality stuff on the same plant? Um, I mean, for pure just trim, I see it being quite a, quite a bit lower. I mean, uh, if we got a bud test, let's say there was uh, 17%, we may see the trim down around 9%. But then, as you say, there's levels between that. I mean, if they got trim that's close to the flower, you know, maybe that's... 13 so it will vary quite a bit between the parts of the plants that you're picking one of the discrepancies with the way weed maps was representing total thc you would have uh, we would get a, a test results representing thca and we would be putting that on the labels and then weed maps would be getting the same tests and they would be putting this higher number on and customers would come in and hey wait a minute we see on weed maps that it's this this value but you're saying on the label it's this so you're misrepresenting could you speak a little bit about the difference between total thc and then thca this is something that yeah we've been fighting against this for a while and mark actually spoke at the again board meeting this week yeah uh this is this is mark maligodi i would like to um talk about total thc and ask the board to consider changing uh the way the regulations are written and how total thc is reported Uh, The regulations currently say that THCA and THC can be added together and put onto a label. 
So some people are using that and other people are using the more um, appropriate, the industry standard of reducing THCA to account for the loss of weight when it decarboxylates into THC. So what happens is that in the retail stores, you have a number that says total THC and people don't, don't know what it means. There's, there's no way to know whether somebody is simply adding the two numbers or whether somebody is actually accounting for the change and putting the correct number down. So it's leading to a lot of confusion. Um, so that's just the recommendation that I would make. Um, one recommendation I would do is to actually get rid of total THC and to just have them put the numbers for THCA and THC. Total THC is kind of a relic from, from when people used gas chromatography to do the testing. Uh, everyone in Alaska uses uh, liquid chromatography, and I think everyone should, who comes in in the future. So it could just be gotten rid of um, and put down the two numbers. Otherwise, um, I think it should use the decarboxylated version and um, reduce the THCA by about 13%. Um, the second thing I'd like to talk about is um, a recommendation for the way that the single-serving edibles are currently being tested, requiring uh, whatever is the number in the packet to be tested. Um, it's kind of arbitrary to just whatever they happen to be selling it as to test that many. I think a better way to do it would be to test a number of them up front to make sure that the um, producer is able to hit the numbers that they want to hit. And then each time that they have a package come through to test um, one from the package to make sure that they are uh, still meeting what they were able to meet in the very beginning. And lastly, I would just like to comment on um, the, the previous call. Um, at CanTest, we take our um, testing very seriously. Um, we strive to get accurate results every time, and I stand by the results that we have. I think it's unfortunate that we can't send samples down to the lower 48 to get uh, – you know, testing done there to see what they come up with, but we do stand by our testing and we believe it's as accurate uh, as it can possibly be. Uh, that's what I had today. Thanks. Thank you. Any questions? Yeah, I've got a question. Uh, Dr. Malagoti, this is Brandon Emmett. Um, what number would you suggest of, of how many samples should be taken from a batch of edibles? I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you that the number can be arbitrary if it's just based upon how many are in a package? Um, is, is there some sort of uh, statistically significant percentage from a batch that, that could make this uh, testing requirement more realistic? Uh, so this is Jonathan Ruff. I'm going to chime in here. Uh, I don't have a number for you, but yes, I think it would be better to base that number rather than, again, on the packaging number, where if they're packaging 5 at 5, they're packaging 10 at 10, on something like the batch size or uh, somehow have something there's mentioned in the regulations of um, process validation. Uh, but so using some sort of determined number that would tell us, okay, yes, there is homogeneity in the process uh, rather than um, yeah, just picking it out by, by package. So, I, I mean, we could potentially come up with a number. I, I don't have a number to give you right now, but uh, that's something we can work on if, if that would help. Thank you. I said, oh, but ain't that your uniform? He offers me a torch. He says, 2,000 years is long enough for this particular joke. Well, I 
as far as I know, this is uh, still a problem with weed maps. I haven't actually looked at weed maps in a while, but I do not believe that they've changed the way that they um, represent their total THC levels. What they, uh, when I was looking at weed maps, what they do is we have two numbers that come up. Because we use high-pressure high liquid chromatography, we're able to separate it out into THCA, which is usually the larger uh, cannabinoid, and THC. In the older days, when people used gas chromatography, uh, that automatically decloxylates the THCA into THC, so you would only get one number, and people would just report one number, total THC. But now we have the two numbers, and that's what we uh, put on our labels. Now, from there, we create the total THC number by taking the activated THC, which means that the THC decarboxylates and loses about 13% of its weight when it goes to THC, okay? So we take THCA times 0.877 plus THC, and that's what we call total THC. That's what's called the activated total THC. But unfortunately, the regulations when they were developed allowed um, cultivators to put total THC at strictly THCA plus THC. So now you have the confusion between some, you know, some people who believe that, you know, the activated THC should be on the label, me being one of them, and other people who are just going by with the regulations. Wow. And it's created an enormous confusion in that oftentimes you will see one number, you will see total THC, and the consumer has no idea what that total THC means, which one they're actually using. And it's, I think it's been a very unfortunate thing in our, in our industry to confuse people um, in this way. Especially how important it is to the, uh, to the consumer. The consumer really is looking at that number. We don't, as consumers, we haven't appreciated the terpenes yet. We um, will. <laughs> yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. But I, I also, I find it unfortunate how much it's, it's uh, focused on THC when the entourage effect of terpenes and um, THC is really what uh, is important. What do you guys find as an exciting terpene to watch as, as we're looking at those tests coming out? Well, certainly beta-mercine um, has been shown as one that works in conjunction with THC to, um, it helps to lower the blood-brain barrier THC so that a high beta-mercine content is actually effectively increasing the THC. You know, and then there's other um, terpenes that are being looked at for more of a, um, you know, anti-inflammation or other type of medicinal benefit. Um, hopefully, there'll be more study done on that so that you can actually um, determine if, you know, what benefits they might have. But that, yeah, it's exciting time for research. It's an interesting area as, as more, you know, goes into terpene analysis. Most of the listeners that I have in the legal industry, they know how to deal with you guys. They, they call you up. They send your sample down. How does someone listening that are not involved in the legal can industry and they've got some good product and they want to get it tested, how do they do that with you guys? Well, um, anybody, you know, the way they wrote the Alaska regulations, anybody can have uh, testing done at a testing facility. It can be any one test that they want, you know, you don't have to get a microbial test. So if somebody wanted to have a test done, they can bring two grams 
uh, to our facility. You don't need an appointment or anything. Just take two grams of facility and we can do a potency test, uh, which includes a moisture content analysis, uh, a visual inspection for molds and insects, and a, um, a high, couple of high resolution pictures that go on to the uh, PDF results. And, and terpenes can also be added to that as a, you know, additional test. He says I'm looking for one thing real tonight. And I'm up here singing. So we were talking about how, how my buddies go bring their two grams to you to show up at your place. What is your address in Anchorage? Okay, good. It's over. Uh, so we're at 620 East Whitney Road. It's in the Ship Creek uh, area, just north of downtown. Is it going to be intimidating walking in? I would think, like, walking into a place like that, what, what's to be expected? You open the door. We try and make someone as non-intimidating as possible. Oh, I'm sure you guys would, but I get nervous about those things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, someone pretty much just walks in and, um, you know, right right away you come to the reception area and, um, you know, we just uh, get the uh, information from the person, you know, name, phone. We email out our results. Um, usually um, we get them out within 48 to 72 hours. And um, it's, it's really, it's pretty simple. Yeah, what's the cost for that? So a potency-only test is $80, and then adding terpenes um, at 70 so the total 150 And if a person did want to get a microbial test, then the total would be 230 Do you have, like, um, like pickup services or something? Well, you know, that, that, you... that actually has recently changed as well. Um, they just made it so that licensees can transport um, between other licensees so that we can't go and actually take the sample from a location, but we can now go and pick up from a location and bring it back here. Um, however, we currently use um, a company called TransCan Logistics, and uh, they travel up to Fairbanks every week, every Monday, uh, go up to Fairbanks and take back all the samples to us. And uh, we generally send out the results of those on Thursday. So, um, personal grows have access to that service too. We have. Uh, if the personal if the personal grower contacts the um, TransCan Logistics, uh, they're arranged places to, um, you know, to, to meet. No, I, I would I would I definitely think you're going to get some calls, people hearing that. That's going to be good. These songs every night. Sometimes I want to just make them all up on the spot. Maybe they Let's get back to this, the big guffuffle going on about testing and discrepancy. I, I really appreciate both companies taking the lead and coming forward and almost you guys are being consumer advocates the same as I would be trying to figure out what's going on with these things and um, do you have any other insight on how we have such a wide range of these and I noticed the charts being put up and there were some definitely chart uh, depending on how well you can read a chart knowing how to that for one sure yeah um, so it's definitely unfortunate to have I mean we heard rumors and then now um, uh, Steve Hill is posting charts 
uh, where we have these numbers that are quite different between different labs. Uh, so that's not good for anybody. It's certainly not good for us. It's not good for uh, any of the testing facilities, not good for the cultivators, not good for the consumer. So nobody likes this. It's, it's definitely an issue that we all want to address and resolve. The opportunity, I think, that the, the easiest way would be for the testing facilities to get together uh, and work on things. But by nature of being uh, competing businesses, that's a little bit difficult. The regulators are bringing, uh, I mentioned a bit earlier about how we we're going to be working with them on regulation projects. They could step in and, and try to bridge that gap. This is not just an Alaska problem, this is a national problem where there is no national standard for how, how all these tests are done. It's very difficult to get material. Again, there's the prohibition, so you can't just uh, buy a, a representative sample or transfer it around to, to compare between labs. Uh, so there is proficiency testing, uh, however, that's only a fully extracted or um, uh, just the, the cannabinoids in solution. So it doesn't test anything about how you process the sample, how you extract it. All those are completely left out of the proficiency test. Um, so yeah, this is a challenge, uh, again, nationwide for the industry. It's, uh, it's uh, fortunate for us in Alaska that we, we only have two testing companies currently, right? so it's easier to for you guys to talk together and work something out. I can't imagine in the other states where so many more testing companies and easier for things to slip through. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is, again, not something that we want to have happen. So um, as we've heard, heard reports of these um, different numbers, we've scrutinized our process and we have a lot of um, controls in place, uh, quality checks, uh, um, daily, weekly and otherwise processes to assure that uh, the numbers we're getting, that, that we are confident in them. We've been doing that since day one, but we've doubled that effort since um, hearing about this. And we're still scratching our heads trying to come up with exactly why the, the numbers might be different. So again, we don't know what's going on in the other lab and, and why um, uh, why on their end things might be different. But there's also, as we were talking earlier in, in the show, uh, sampling has a, has a large impact on the, on the numbers, uh, handling of, of a sample. So if it, if it comes to us and then uh, so that table that was put out there, so some of that has been now uh, moved around more and, and maybe repackaged at, at the cultivator and, and anybody who's familiar with these products knows that things can stick to the size of containers and, and that can change the, the value of what, of what you're getting a sample. So if you're comparing something that's off the shelf uh, versus something that's brought straight to the lab, there could be a difference there. There's differences. Um, not to mention if you make it into a pre-roll, so that was one of the things in that um, chart they were comparing pre-roll to flour. So if you're grinding something up, and this is why we have uh, things like key boxes, right? So you collect the things that fall through as it's being broken up. Well, that, you know, that's going to change the number of what... Of what uh, well, in, in addition, with the pre-rolls, they can put the trim into a pre-roll. So if you have a flower tested and it comes out with a certain value, that doesn't mean that you're only using the bud. So you put the pre-rolls with the trim and bud together, and that would lower the value. That sure is. That is definitely, I think, one of the, the biggest issues. You guys are getting a sample and you're saying what that sample is. You guys have no control over what's going on after that. Right. Right. So, and then, and then as we also mentioned earlier, there's different ways that these numbers are reported. Uh, so, if you're comparing, to, uh, if 
labeled as the same number, but it's actually one of them is uh, corrected for the decarboxylation. That's going to throw the numbers off significantly. So. Can we go back and focus in on that trim versus flower? I, I when when you were saying, I'm so happy to hear you say it. Like it's the way things are happening is it it's taxed a certain way. You have fifty fifty dollars an ounce for flour and fifteen dollars an ounce for trim. So people send a sample from this batch. I guess it's being called flour, right? And even some of that trim, if they're paying for it as flour, it's called flour and put into a pre-roll. Well, you don't have to have the trim tested at this point. There is a regulation. Yeah, budget, right. Go ahead. You know, to test trim. But at, yeah, at this point, you only have to test the bud. So the bud gets tested. Um, the microbial passes through. So if the bud passes for microbial, all of the trim is passed for microbial. But then, I mean, my understanding is that the leaf, I mean, the, you know, the trim also goes in to making the pre-rolls so that you don't know exactly what the percentage is going to be when the pre-rolls are being made. Right. That, that sample that was sent to a testing facility has a certain TH percentage, and that's going to be a good representation of that flower. They're not going to send you trim quality. But they're using that trim and not necessarily representative of. They could use that to bring that number down, being discrepancy from the test to what these secret shoppers are finding. Well, I think what the regulation project is trying to do is to actually test what is going to be put into the pre roll so that somebody would have to make a batch of the pre roll and then have that tested. And those results are going to be used on the pre roll. Right, I think that's been a talk in the, from the beginning. I think weren't cultivators just kind of balking at that a little bit because it, it's so much smaller amount of trim and then to be tested. And this is getting it again where the the regulations maybe need to be clarified. And, and uh, as we said, that's in process. But so, what is it, what do you require? Do you require a potency test for flour and trim? Do you require only if you're going to sell it only for what you're going to label the trim as? Can you sell it as oh this is trim? We don't have a, we didn't do a potency test on it, this is what the flower tested at, but you can assume that it's lower. Well, I mean, these are different options. I, I don't think just labeling it with the exact same number as flower is is um, the right option, but maybe that's happening. I mean, that's, um, yeah, that's part of the issue. Not right, you're exactly right. In, in trying to standardize and bring some not that you guys need credibility, but I was reading on your site talking about an emerald test. What is, what is that? So that was the proficiency test that we, we mentioned earlier. And um, so, yeah, uh, Deep Hill's been talking about that, and, and they have their um, emerald badges. Uh, we didn't see the urgency in doing that, again, because it doesn't test a lot of the steps of the process. But, you know, the attention that it's getting, we're like, all right, we'll, we'll do this now. So so we're, we're enrolled, and, and, and that's on that's coming, so stay tuned. Okay, it's just like an industry industry yeah. standard that's kind that, of making again, making ideas of things. Company outside of Alaska, so they can't just mail us a sample because that would be across state lines, which you're not allowed to do. So they may they can mail just a um, in in um, a tube. They can send us a solution that has the same chemicals in it, and we can test that. I mean, testing solution versus testing a flower is a very different thing but um that, i mean it's essentially testing the calibration of your of your hplc machine it's not testing how you go about 
you know, preparing and extracting the flower. It's just simply testing what is the calibration of your machine, which again is, is um, I guess we didn't get into this, but um, any, any test is going to be based off a reference material. So we purchase uh, certified reference material from, uh, there's Ceruliant and ResTech or a couple of the companies that sell them. So that's what we're going to base our numbers off of. Any any lab, so Steve Hill is going to do that. Any any lab in any any of the states are going to do that. Uh, so this is essentially just another another round of of that sort of um, product to test. Do you guys see any new exciting things in the industry coming that we wouldn't know about? Um, I mean, so one of the things that we see is the so other cannabinoids that can be tested for and. Um, not that, you know, so cultivators are going to be aware, but um, so different cannabinoids that are uh, not seen as often, and then somebody will have a strain that has a so THCV, for example. We get to get to sort of see that as it comes through. Um, as far as new developments in the industry? I've been seeing a rise in the interest of uh, genetic testing. Uh, you know, people are, and there's a couple of companies that are out there now, uh, Phylos being one, the Digital Genomics being one, that's, you know, mapping the DNA of, uh, of cannabis and uh, identifying strains so that if somebody wanted to verify that they had, um, you know, for sake, for example, the Matanusa Thunder, um, you know, you have to say it. No, I didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, if they wanted to test if, you know, they have that strain that these genetic companies are now available that will take the sample and um, be able to look at the genetics of it and, uh, you know, give that type of information. So I think that's an exciting new area of uh, cannabis research. Yeah, and we can, that, I can say it. Um, actually, Ron Bath tested his <laughs> Matt Nuska Thunderfuck and oh, uh, nice. that now, uh, registered with both Phylos and Medicinal Genetics. <laughs> they might not make sense, but then at least I wouldn't be repeating myself. I'm what is your thought process on people just taking a strain and then calling it something else? They're calling it some Alaskan name. Yeah. And and that's what I really like about the genetics. When I go into some place, I know that this is Great Babe or this is Northern Lights. That, that's a nice thing. But when you're buying something with a different name and it's just something else, that's what I like about the genetics. Do you guys agree with that or you're fine with changing names or doing whatever? So that's a big part of the genetic testing is, so it's pretty hard as, as people are trading plants around um, to track, okay, you're, you're calling it this, I mean, it's, you know, things get switched around and, and maybe the name gets switched or maybe, uh, um, you know, either by accident or on purpose, someone just called something other than what it was originally called. So the genetic test can, can potentially um, tell us what it actually is, but that's uh, easier said than done. I mean, how do you know which one is the is the original? Well, I also think I know what he's referring to probably a little more than than you might because I see it all the time, and I think he was referring to is that a lot of the names of the strains that are out there are just Alaskan names. I mean, they're just maybe a strain that might be something else that has been renamed to have an Alaskan theme and whether that's a good thing to do or not a good thing to do. I think that's what you were referring to. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. You know? <laughs> From Wired Magazine, Nick Stockton, 827.15.
Sorry, but the names for weed strains are kind of meaningless. So my brother was like, bro, check out this blueberry kush. And I was like, kind of sketched out because last week my cousin was like, bro, check out this blueberry kush. And even then I was like, this blueberry kush looks a lot like the purple sour diesel that I got from the girl I was contact dancing with at Golden Gate Park last weekend. And even that stuff wasn't even all that purple. It was like red colored. Plus, I think it smelled different. Yo, I'm only saying this because it's not my imagination. Check it out, Rasta. A pair of Canadian plant scientists compared the genes of hundreds of cannabis plants and found that the way the community names its plants is all messed up. This goes all the way down to the basic split between strains of weed that supposedly give you an uppy high versus something more mellow. First of all, chill out. Nobody's trying to narc anyone out. In Canada, where the government is way more lax about Mary Jane, the authors compared the DNA of about 130 different cannabis plants. This means both marijuana and hemp. They didn't make any assumptions, because good scientists don't judge, bro. Instead, they just had their computer group the different cannabis strains according to their genomes. We chop all those genomes up into about 14,000 small pieces and use a method to compare those pieces across different samples, says Sean Miles, an agricultural geneticist at Dolly House University in Nova Scotia. The author of the paper, after you've looked at same portions of DNA across all samples, you can get an idea of how related they are. The first split cleanly separated hemp from marijuana. Previously, many people had thought that the two were only different at the specific gene that regulates expression of THC, says Miles. From there, things got dicey. In the marijuana community, weed is grouped into two basic groups. Sativa has tall, thin leaves and is supposed to give uppy, euphoric highs, while indica, which has short, fat leaves, is supposed to give you a nice body chill. But the indica-sativa divide wasn't well supported in the data. Like Jamaican lamb's bread, which is supposed to be a sativa strain, was pretty much identical to some Afghani indica. They're not totally wrong, but the split is nowhere near as accurate as you'd need to be in another horticultural crop with a formal classification system, says Miles. And that trickles down into the whole strain naming convention. Think about it. If you had a case of the munchies and bought what were advertised as some sweet, juicy Fuji apples, then you get home and instead you've got a bunch of mealy braid burns. Ugh. But this goes beyond simple branding issues. Marijuana is a medicinal drug in many places in the U.S. and Canada, and distributors use, use those names to help patients manage things like anxiety, glaucoma, and chronic pain. The thing that is important is the medical community claims that indica is good for certain things and sativa is good for others. But that must all be hogwash, because the indica-sativa labels don't correlate well with genetics, says Miles. This isn't some big weed industry conspiracy, though. More likely, it stems from the fact that marijuana cultivation was underground for so long. And the man still makes it really hard for scientists to study that sweet gene. Finally, not everybody growing pot knows how breeding works. If you clone your friend's sour diesel from a cutting, then it's totally cool to call the new plant sour diesel. But if you get a seed labeled as sour diesel, there's no way that's the same plant. Even if the seed came from a female sour diesel mated with a male sour diesel. Think about it this way. Even if a pair of male and female human clones had sex and made a baby, that kid would not be an exact genetic copy. The genes get mixed up, and therefore the baby deserves a new name. But as the social and legal windows shift towards acceptance, some sort of formal classification will be necessary. From an industry standpoint, there have been moves towards developing more consistency, says Taylor West, Deputy Director of the National Cannabis Industry Association. There's no real centralized information, so it's difficult for people to tell one strain of strawberry kush from the next. 
Wes says genetic testing will be hugely important, not just because it will standardize the medicinal aspect of weed and make clinical trials possible, but also for intellectual property reasons. Right now, because there's no federal oversight on the U.S. market, you don't have things like trademarks or intellectual property. That interest in genetics doesn't surprise Miles, considering the marijuana industry is one of the fastest growing industries in the U.S. I'm volunteering to take that on, in case not everybody asks, Miles says. For any weed growers out there who want to get their strains in And this kind of actually ties back into the, the discussion about potency numbers because a different strain is potentially going to give a different potency number and if someone sees a number that's unusual for that strain well actually is it actually that strain and so when if you're naming it your unique alaska name it makes that even harder to keep track of getting back to terpenes and, and the testing results and this gets right to your design of how your testing results show when it comes back to the customer. When I go into a retail store and I see the test results from any of any of you guys, I love looking at those test results. And you guys, it's an easy flow to follow. Um, I really enjoy that that's coming out and more cultivators using those terpene tests to give the consumer just more idea of what, what they're consuming. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going good. Helping it. <laughs> no, I love it. I'm glad more people are doing it. Some, some don't, but it's just always, it's just, I guess it's responding to the consumer. Do you, are you guys personal consumers yourself? Uh, a little bit. Not, <laughs> not as much as when I was younger. But. Okay, that's, that's interesting. I would think you would, get, you would consume more now oh, well, that uh, I, you're in the I industry. Think, this I think joining the industry has up my consumption. Yeah, I've tapered off. The, the, the research community is, is less of a, uh, t- tend to be less, less regular users. Gotcha. How about you, Mark? I'm actually not a consumer. Um, it's it's just been something that's never really been something that's a good experience for me. So, I mean, I like working in the industry. I think it's exciting to work in the industry, but just something that's not for me. No, right. Just like you were saying earlier, a chance to create when when the industry is so new and we've got boards making decisions on how millions of dollars are going to be used and spent and directed. And but thank you guys for leading. How about, how about for your dogs? <laughs> dogs? dogs? <laughs> CBD probably. <laughs> there you go. Nice. But, uh, well, I think it's good that there's, there's some people in charge that aren't consumers too. And I, you know, I'm there's something to say for that. feel that the legalization is a good thing in the way that the, um, you know, criminal justice system is going right now. I think it's going to be very helpful, but um, yeah, for me, no. Yeah, that's something, even if I wasn't using it myself, I think just the, the you know, the war on drugs is just uh, does a lot of terrible things, so that being a part of, of helping helping reduce that harm, I think is great. Right. Well, is there anything else you guys wanted to share before we end today? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess as I say that, it, it makes me think of, um, We've been talking a bit about State Hill, and I, I want to say that so Tim Hennerberger, uh, the scientific director over there, uh, has done quite a bit uh, way before I even got here about getting this all up and running. So um, we have a lot of respect for them over there, and um, we hope that um, you know that we're we're having this kerfuffle. I think he called it. Uh, we hope yeah. we can get past it, and uh, you know, we're all we're all part of this industry together. So. 
it feels very transparent right now. I, I don't see any any I don't see you guys hiding anything. I just hope more I hope more focus goes on to it's so easy to see look at numbers. I, I hope it goes more to cultivators and retailers. It could easily happen there in that place too. Hey, thank man, thanks you guys for joining me again. This is good. You guys are bringing some true science to my show. Yeah, th thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, thank you. Hey, hey, thank you for joining us on Far North Toker. You can listen to more episodes on SoundCloud and farnorthtokers.com. Like me on Facebook. Search Mid Token. Here's Token. Save it.